0: My name is Sarah Dudnitz, and you're listening to PR Hangover, a public relations podcast brought to you by Grand Valley State University's PRSSA chapter. All right, welcome to PR Hangover, everyone. I am here with Brooke. Brooke, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us about yourself.
1: Um, My name is Brooke Rozier. Uh, I also graduated from Grand Valley not too long ago. Um, I graduated with a degree in advertising and public relations, um, except I was an emphasis in advertising. Um, probably goes against all, all this PR <laughs> podcast. Um, okay. but Our PRSSA president. Her I hope you guys accept me. <laughs> too. We'll,
0: we'll take you anywhere. Good, good.
1: Love to hear it. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm currently working at AMY headquarters in global beauty marketing, um, loving it a lot. Definitely really soaking up post grad life. Okay. Um, you guys will get there someday and not having homework is a really magical time. So I'm really excited for that. I, yeah, it's it's really awesome. <laughs> Weekends are so bright. Oh,
0: man, I'm jealous now. Yeah. Sixty four days until I graduate. Ooh, so I count down.
1: <laughs> I did too. I count I kinda the whole
0: semester so I get it. <laughs> so uh What made you initially interested in PR and marketing or advertising, um, and then specifically beauty marketing?
1: Um, So initially when I started college, I wanted to go very much into something super creative like graphic design or an art degree. I went to GRCC first, so I had a lot of kind of the world was my oyster, could go any direction. Um, Got really into that, and then I was like, you know what, I love reading and writing I want to be an English teacher, help people learn how to read and write. Um, What was missing in both of those equations were uh, this kind of collaborative work. And I I really love collaborative work, especially like I love being surrounded by people who are so much smarter than me because there is so much to learn and definitely wouldn't get that as an English teacher. Definitely want to get it as a graphic designer because that's much more tactical most of the time. Um, And so when I found out advertising is kind of this like trifecta of people, it's writing, and it's creative, I was like, oh my god, there it is. Sign me up. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely sign me up. So um, really started to get into advertising, absolutely love it, um, specifically beauty marketing. Um, I mean, that's a huge passion point for me has always been beauty, um, kind of lived and breathed it, and people at Ulta know my name, it's too much sometimes, <laughs> but um So when I got into beauty marketing, it went from, you know, just being a consumer and living and breathing it to now being on the marketing side of it. It is so cool because you get to understand why things are formulated the way they are and then why they're made and how packaging can be so intentional. Um, And so... Definitely got into beauty marketing because not only was it my language, but there obviously was so much more to learn on that side of it, and um, I love it for that reason. It's 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 cool to see just, you know, on the weekends I'm a consumer at Ulta, and then I go to work and I'm like, I get to design this, you know, and, <laughs> and that's a really cool thing to be a part of too. So definitely advertising for the um, kind of three elements and then beauty marketing because it's awesome. <laughs> Is
0: that- <laughs> That's so cool. So last night when you were talking to PRSSA, you talked a lot about how a lot of the audiences that you market to are global. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you faced with that or what is that like?
1: So working global, it's very fun, it's very interesting, um, and it really pushes you to be very intentional with um, how you talk, how you present yourself. Um, so. I definitely learned this when I began working um, in global nutrition, it's definitely uh, cycled into beauty marketing or global beauty marketing, Um, is that when you're working culturally, there are a variance of expectations that go in each culture. Um, Specifically looking beauty-wise, what the East finds beautiful is quite literally the opposite of what the West finds beautiful. <laughs> in the West, we love like tan skin and freckles mm-hmm. and like blonde hair, right? In the East, like if you have tan skin and freckles, you need to get out of there. So um, <laughs> it's Yikes. like it's like you've ru- ruined your skin. And in the West, they're like, you're glowing. Um, and so the, the, there are those cultural nuances. Um, working specifically in global business, um, when you look at those differences, then it also comes down to, um, you know, especially when we work with, Uh, asian markets is it's very very formal and there is uh, a lot of expectations or there are a lot of expectations with you know when you start the meeting how you start the meeting how you introduce yourself and so um, you really have to learn understand and i would say the biggest thing if if anyone listening to this wanted to go into uh, global marketing is to really sit back, listen, and observe, um, because your coworkers who have been doing this for a long time, they know what they're doing, and so really kind of soak it in how, they're, um, how they are approaching everything. Um, something interesting, too, are not only, you know, you have to observe, listen, and match their uh, cultural expectations, um, and so, you know, I brought up last night, or in, in Korea, if we have a 9 p.m. call, everyone is on that call at nine or 8:50, um, and it's because we don't have any time to lose. Let's get this started. Um, alternatively, if you have a call with um, a market in South America, it's a little more, um, you know, maybe we start at 9:05. We do a little long introduction. How are you? How are your? How's your family? Um, and so it's those kind of cultural things that are different. It makes it very fun and interesting to have um, different global conversations too. Um, and yeah, I would definitely say to work global is such a different experience, but it's a hundred percent worth it. Um, I, I would say when I came out of Grand Valley, especially, I was thinking entirely Western,
0: mm-hmm.
1: probably even more so entirely Western, a West Michigan yeah. look, you know, <laughs> right. and it really pushes you to think outside of that where, um, you think outside of what is the norm of, how you're seeing everything around you, right? Grand Rapids, there's public transport. Not a ton of people leverage that, right? As opposed to um, in uh, bigger Asian cities where it's, uh, or bigger cities in Asia where it's like public transport is all you take, the right? the way, right? Um, And so really considering that as you're building products and as you're building um, web experiences, and it just helps to start to um, expand how you think about strategy and expand mm-hmm. how you think about tactics too um, and I think it's a great skill even to bring in if you're not uh, working in a global space right you still yeah. want to have that global mindset and and unless you are literally just working on a project for West Michigan it's good to have that kind of cultural awareness um, throughout the world and how it differs because it's going to help you build that strategy and tactics that it hits your target audience even better with how they function and how they live their life. Um, So, yeah, I know that I just kind of derailed that. (laughs) Went on a totally different tangent. But, but yeah, definitely global marketing is something where it is so interesting. It is, it makes you be much more intentional, like I said, but it's a great skill just to get, if people are trying to really build their resume and their skills, it's something to definitely look into and dive into a little more.
0: Is it a lot of... Research like before you interact with certain people in certain places to be able to have the understanding, um, you know, or is for, it more of just sitting back and watching, like you said, your coworkers? And yeah, like I would that? say
1: it's a lot more, uh, observe and listen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, you know, I think overall that is a great piece of advice is just sit back, observe, and listen, um, especially
0: fresh out of college. Especially, yeah. right? I know we hit on that last night too. Yes,
1: yep. So, and you know, when you're a post grad, it's you know tangible skills of how to um, roll out a campaign in NSAC right but when you go into the real world you're you're trying to match what I've learned versus what is kind of the reality of and um, and so the one of the best ways to do that is observe and listen how everyone is doing it around you and then challenge yourself of, can I elevate this? Can I change this? Or is this truly how it should be done? Is this the best practice for this too? So, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah. So interesting to me. Um, So flipping back to beauty marketing, what trends and changes do you see happening Mm -hmm. in that industry?
1: Um, So in beauty in the beauty industry, there are some changes and trends that I am really, really excited for. One of the biggest changes, I would say, is that um, makeup is becoming, or like cosmetics, are becoming so much more experimental mm-hmm. um, that it's really changing from, you know, you have to have this eye and this kind of lip, and it's very methodical and, you know, place, as opposed to, it's, it's starting to change to be much more of makeup is what you make it, and it's it's a way to individualize yourself, it's a way to show who you are, and it's one of my favorite trends because it's taking, it's taking products that already exist in the market, right? It's taking colorful eyeliners, and all of a sudden you get to do a really bold, kind of unique, crazy eye. And uh, it's no longer being seen as like, what is she doing? And more like, that queen is getting it, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's yeah. killing it. So it's not weird
0: anymore. It's not, and I yeah.
1: love that. And I love that people are, are using it to um, show exactly who they are and how they're feeling, and that you get to change every day. And it's nothing like a tattoo on your face. And so mm-hmm. you get to be experimental with it. Um, and I would say another big change to specifically looking at skincare is a heightened awareness of, um, ingredients and kind of, uh, ingredients, sustainability, um, the ethics behind products, uh, you know, probably five or six years ago, it was much more commonplace to go by just like. Neutrogena and, you know, and nothing wrong with Neutrogena, but now there's this kind of heightened sense of, I want my skincare to be this elevated process. Mm -hmm. I want it to either be an act of self care. I want it either to be this, um, this thing that helps me feel good. I feel glowy. My skin feels great. And so that heightened awareness on ingredients and ethics behind it, uh, really comes with people starting to be far more attentive of what they're using, how they're using it, and who it's impacting to. And so both in makeup and in skincare, there's these kind of big changes happening. So with these two changes, what I really like seeing in the industry are brands to um, start to abide by this. Mm-hmm. And so, especially looking at the cosmetics, that there's not a ton of brands having pushback where it's like, your makeup should be this and should be this, right? Um, brands are almost more leaning into this glossier is a great example where um, they just came out with glossier play makeup and it's much more of just like it's glitter how you use it up for like mm-hmm. you know totally your choice and so when brands are have a really good pulse on the changes that are happening in the beauty industry and those changes happen quickly and and almost overnight, does the consumer perception kind of switch where it's like all of a sudden of, you know what, I want to do this. And I really believe that this product should be natural ingredients or I should I believe that this product should be non-harmful or not test on animals, right? Is when you keep such a good pulse on what your target audience has expectation of and then your delivery on that, that's what makes a really dynamite brand. And obviously that's pretty common sense. But in terms of beauty, especially because beauty is so... Emotional because it's a way to represent who you are, even yeah. down to skincare. Um, it's even stronger for beauty industry brands to listen to that because if they can be the brand that helps someone uh, further their like bring their identity even farther, mm-hmm. that's a really strong place to be in someone's kind of journey map or um, how they seek out products and use products yeah. too. So
0: yeah, that's so cool. It was interesting. One thing you said like just skincare, like taking off your makeup isn't just taking off your makeup anymore. It's like self-care. Yes. And I never really would have put that together. Right. interesting. Yeah,
1: there's been a huge shift where it's just like, oh, I have to do my skincare. So now people are like, I get to do my skincare, right? (laughs) Treat yourself. Yes, Yes. absolutely.
0: (laughs) So in sort of big picture beauty marketing world, um, have you seen or experienced any problems with ethics, whether it be unethical marketing or any of those things
1: yeah I would say a lot of brands I'm going to speak from a a personal perception real quick but um, I think a lot of brands try to ride the wave of uh, it's organic it is clean you know it's all these things and um, if it can't actually serve up to that I in my perception that is very unethical Mm -hmm. Um, even more so I think one of the most unethical things drives me absolutely nuts is, you know, if you ever go to Target and you see those like one dollar face masks, mm-hmm. those are like criminal because it's uh, it's a very cheap, cheap way to get consumers. And because face masks are like a huge um trend that's probably going to stick around forever, right? Yeah. Um, but because face masks are so sought after, there's a ton of just these kind of low-hanging fruit brands that make very cheap face masks. Cheap face masks have cheap chemicals. Yeah. Those hurt your skin. And so that that seems very unethical to me where it's really no intentionality in it. It's literally just like water, alcohol, and chemicals in those mm. things. And so um, like from, a, from an industry standpoint, there's so many better brands that... Actually, put the intention and the um, the science, the research, the ingredients into it. That seeing kind of just you know stupid face masks like that. Always right, kind of like yeah. that's that's definitely unethical in terms riding of riding the
0: self care wave. Right, right, yeah. and then
1: and then really leaning into well, it's only a dollar, but it's like yeah, but it could also burn your skin. So as, as
0: someone who has purchased those cheap face masks, I'm now very sad. No more. No more. Of no this. more. I'm learning this so is much. Today. An intervention. <laughs> um, what is your favorite thing about working in beauty marketing and then what's your least favorite or the biggest challenge of it?
1: Um I would say my favorite thing in working beauty marketing is that well first of all it's a language it's a mm-hmm. passion, right? That I'm I'm very much um in love with and And I love seeing how products are created from start to finish. Um, Specifically where I work is just all the products and formulations are so intentional and passion driven and it really is so motivating to make sure that on my end where I work more in um, uh, the digital strategy um, or digital execution of it and the brand strategy of it is to make sure that we fully deliver on that experience because when, when people put so much passion and amazing things into the product like you want to make sure that that fully translates in every Experience that the consumer will go through and so like that's definitely my favorite part of it is making sure that um, The passion and the intent is shown all the way through to the end customer Um, Probably I mean most challenging is I mean the market is quick and like trends especially fads um, come and go very quickly, right? It, and um, so it's it's tough to create a product and immediately just launch it um, because you know products take time and it takes intention and it takes you know a lot of planning. And so I would say probably one of the toughest things is delivery it to still be on time with the fads and trends um, without uh, you know lacking quality or anything like that too, so Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. You said that you had participated in NSAC when you went to Grand Valley. Can you talk a little bit about what that looked like for you and then how that experience has sort of helped you in your career?
1: Yeah, Um, so when I was at Grand Valley, I did NSAC, which is the National Student Advertising Competition. My senior year, um, I co-led it with um, a few other leaders and um, you know, the experience and like I mentioned last night, it's probably the closest to what I do today um, in terms of how to really execute like a launch or a brand strategy um, or a campaign, and um, it's it's an amazing experience. Even if you are a PR emphasis um, or ad emphasis, really, it's meant for both. But um, it's a great experience because you you learn how all these things that you've absorbed in college so far in all your classes, how they apply in, in an organized way, in a cadence of how launches are supposed to happen in, in ways that um, communication it layers and builds upon itself to be a really seamless campaign and a, a seamless launch, too. Um, and I, I always recommend that people do it. Um, you know, I say that, and, and shortly after I say that, to anyone, I'll tell them that it is one of the toughest things you will do, and um, it is so much work, and it is so—it's—I mean, it's a really, really a lot of work, and it's, it's intense really
0: time commitment. Too. Yeah, I know a lot of my friends spend a ton of time. Huge
1: on that. time commitment, yeah. um, extremely collaborative, and um, you know, it's really—if you're going to be in it, you have to be so good about how you manage your time. Um, Going back to my previous advice, like manage your mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but when you get those locked down and you really learn how to do the healthy boundaries with a big project, um, it's an amazing thing to do because you learn um, so much. When I graduated um, as a resume builder, it did incredible work. Um, especially because in NSAC you do pull in a lot of human-centered design thinking and um, human-centered design is one of the most like sought-after things um, at least at my company Mm -hmm. if you know how to take information um, even at a strategic level or strategic framework and put it through the human-centered design thinking people are like that's money Um, Mm -hmm. because you're you're able to think at a much higher level that you're not thinking through tactics, necessarily. First, you're thinking, obviously, through strategy and through uh, humans, right? Mm -hmm. So that was really um, used a lot in NSAC. And then it's also a great way of, you know, it's super reflective to how majority of our careers will go. If you go to an advertising agency, you're never making up the one big idea yourself, right? You're working with the team, the team and you are coming up with a big idea for this campaign. And so it's a great experience of how do you work in a team with coming up with creative ideas? How do you work in a team to make sure that this campaign's all coming together? And that, you know, it pushes you to, at the project, it, it just becomes like you're doing everything you can to get it done. So if that means you have to do a little bit of other people's work or some people have to do yours it doesn't really matter because it really just has to get done at the end, end of the day. Um, so for anyone who's doing it right now, if they're listening to the podcast, I would definitely say hang in there because the the return of investment of doing as they see is so worth it. Um, it's a great resume builder. If you can speak to it post-grad, um, you are very golden in uh, in the eyes of people who are hiring. And that really the stress of it all is... is um, and the, the work of it all is very worth it um and when you graduate you're gonna and you go into a job you're gonna feel much more uh prepared um because you're going to know how exactly you know you build on a strategic level and then you build on a tactical level and so it's worth it hang in there for the take people a deep breath. that are, take a deep <laughs> breath okay. um Get a face mask and a bath bomb. Give yourself <laughs> not, a a night. Yeah. <laughs> not a $1 <laughs> face mask. not a $1 face mask. But yeah, it's definitely worth it. And um, for anyone listening who's considering doing it, I would definitely, um, you know, connect with uh, Robin Spring about it and talk about, you know, if this, this is something that you could take on. And If you can, absolutely do it. It's a great experience um, and it's a very great thing to be a part of.
0: Um, so last night at PRSSA, you also gave some incredible advice that you had Thank sort you. of gathered from around your office. I was typing as fast as I could <laughs> to get all of it. So I'd love for you to share some more of that. What advice would you give to yourself a couple of years back?
1: Um, so when I look back at college now, um, being a postgrad for a couple of years, I would say probably the biggest advice I have for everyone is to really protect your mental health. Mm-hmm. And um, I say that because, so specifically my senior year, I bit off far more than I could chew, um, and you know fully had the intent of if I just work work so, so hard, my post-grad life will be mm-hmm. so great, and I, it will pay off, and it does, right? Hard work really does pay off, and if you're going the extra mile, like you guys in PRSSA are going the extra mm-hmm. mile being in PRSSA, it really does deliver in post-grad. However, when you do bite off more than you can chew, um, that year I mean, was, was far too much that actually at the end of the year, I had um, a couple of health issues arise from the amount of stress, the mm-hmm. amount of lack of sleep. Um, and, and so going through those health issues, I can just say it, it was not worth it. Right. Um, I wish I would have been more selective and intentional with how I spent my time and where I yeah. spent my time. And that understanding that there can easily be a balance of healthy, like a healthy balance of relaxing, fun, and working hard. And that, you know, working myself and basically killing myself over it was so not worth it. Um, And so, yeah, that would be probably the biggest form of advice is just really be protective of your mental health, your physical health, Um, manage how much you're taking on, and it's okay to admit to yourself that, you know what, if I take this on, I will break. And right. that's a, you know. That's I a, found myself
0: having to say no yeah. to things this year. And one thing someone told me was, you can choose to do a lot of things and do them poorly. Or you can choose to do less things and actually do them well. A hundred percent. And it's trying to find that line. And yeah. Knowing that, okay, I could take this other thing on. But, like, at what cost? What do I have to sacrifice to do that? Right.
1: And, you know, I, I spread myself so thin um, my senior year that, that that's really how it ended up towards the end of senior year is that I was putting all my eggs in different baskets, but by the time I was done, it was like each basket was maybe getting a half an egg. <laughs> like you know, it was just this really like sad attempt to just be like I'm trying. I'm all trying. the eggs are broken. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> so I'm right. crying. There's fire. Sirens the are going off. I don't know. <laughs> that was really the last month of uh, school, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So that that would probably be the biggest form of advice. And then secondly, um, once people graduate, I think you know, going off of the mental health is it's okay to have a break time between between mm-hmm. um, graduating and getting a job. Um, I took a month off in hindsight. I wish I would have uh, taken a little more time off. Um, but that month, I, I think I literally slept 12 hours a day. It well, was, sounds
0: like you needed it after. I did. Year. I did.
1: I looked like a zombie for, oh. you know, all of 2018. I really needed a month to be <laughs> human again. But um, yeah, and, it, and it's so worth it too, because those those two months are when you're coming down from the stress, you had a really big life event. Like, graduating is a big freaking deal. Mm-hmm. And um, so to give yourself time to not only process, but to get your personal things in order, right? Work on your mental health, work on your physical health, work on all the things you need to really get in order so that you go into your next job, all of your eggs in one basket all the eggs are healthy, right? There's no <laughs> fire, no, sirens, fire. right? You're not crying. Like, right. it's just, you know, give yourself a proper time to collect because college is very, very hard, and especially people who go the extra mile. And so give yourself time to recover from really how difficult it is mm-hmm. and how, how much, um, you know, work you put into it. So, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. As someone who feels all of the pressure to have something lined up right after college, yeah. I really appreciate hearing and that. You
1: know what? That pressure, I, I totally felt it my senior year where I was like, oh my God, I have to get a full-time job right after him. I failed, right? <laughs> right. And um, and it's so not true. And actually, you know, I, I had my job um, lined up. It was because of the internship. If that wasn't the case, I think I would have taken off a little more time, done something um, a little more low key in the interim, just to get that breathing time. Because mm-hmm. when you think about it, you will never get that breathing time back, yeah. right? You're, you're going to probably work a nine to five job for the rest of your life. That's a very daunting statement,
0: but <laughs> <I> can't wait. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
1: um, but if you find a job very awesome, it is super awesome right, either. Yeah. But um, so it's like being just super patient with yourself that you don't have to meet any of these expectations that you're giving yourself because these expectations. I mean, someday when you're 40, you're gonna look back and just see like, why did I absolutely rush to go get a right. job right after, yeah. right? And that it's okay to take your time and how everything's progress, um, it's that's totally fine. And that's something that looking back, I'm like, I should not have had so much. Pressure and expectation on myself yeah. to do that because senior year alone is is truly a hurricane and so you're trying to plan your future in the middle of a hurricane and it's pretty um it's pretty difficult yeah. <laughs> so be, be kind and patient to yourself and just recognize that no one has that expectation on you and that really it's it's for you to do the right thing for yourself of whether that means like helping, um, you know, your mental health, your physical health, getting everything in order. It's a good idea to do. Mm -hmm. So.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Brooke. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to PR Hangover. If you'd like, you can give us a follow on Twitter at GV underscore PRSSA, and you can check out our show notes at GVPRSSA.com.